But uh, we're kicking off a brand new series today called Forward in Reverse. What does that mean? It doesn't make any sense. Forward in reverse. In reality, what we're doing every time we open the Bible is we're looking backward to the Bible so that we know how to move forward as a church. Does that make sense? Class? Yes? I got one person who feels like what I just said makes sense. All right? Thank you. Clapping. I mean, please. No, I'm just kidding. No, don't do that. I'll go straight to my head. All right? But as we move forward as a church, as we move out of summer into fall and, and the, the natural breaks that that gives our brain and, and the movement back into action, you know, as I was thinking this week, people occasionally ask me how old our church is. Right? And you could say, oh, about three and a half years. Or you could say about 2,000 years, right? Because when you really consider it, this is our history, right? This is our history. Jesus said in the prayer that he prayed to his father, he said, I pray that my church would be one, that there would just be one church throughout all of time, and that they'd be gathered under Jesus You know, some of you are history buffs. Some of you are into studying the Civil War, the Revolutionary War. You know, whatever it is, the World Wars or uh, whatever the case may be. And what's interesting about that is those things aren't just a story, right? It's our story. It's our history. When we look back on the things that brought our country to where we are, We own that because that's our story. It is our history. But you know what? We have to own some of that, don't we? With all of its wins, but also with all of its sins, as we look back, we move forward, right? We expect progress. So Luke writes the Acts of the Apostles. And we're going to be in Acts for the next eight weeks, looking at largely the vast majority of the first six chapters. But Acts opens by continuing a story. It's not a standalone book. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he, as we'll see in a second, continues with Acts. It's a continuation. It's the story of God's people. It's the birth of the church as we know it. And we look back to it so that we can move forward with it. It's not just history. Now, I know the joke. History is his story. I'm tracking with you. All right. I agree. But it's not just a story. It's our story. It's our history. And it's also important for us to think about when when we gather around the words of God this living book that, that we're, we're not just gathering here as scholars. We're, we're not just trying to gain information. But we believe that by its own declaration and by our experience that these are the living words of God that when this book gets into you, it changes you. So we're not just gathering for information. We literally gather and study for transformation. So we're not just admirers of it. We're not just students of it. We're soldiers, right? There are different types of studying history. If you're a Civil War buff, you admire that. 
but you're probably not going to don the uniform. Now, maybe you do. Maybe you do those reenactments, but those muskets are fake. All right. So, I mean, I I don't want to burst your bubble, but that's not war. Right. When we gather on this, we, we recognize that tomorrow I'll be in culture. I'll be in the world. And I need God. So, who was Luke? Right? Maybe you don't know who Luke is. Luke was a doctor. I think a lot of times we uh, look back and we think that just everybody in the Bible was poor and ragged and, you know, dirty because there was no paved roads. And, you know, we get these weird ideas in our head. But Luke was a doctor. He was probably more affluent. And he, he set out in the book of Luke and then Acts to record carefully. Luke is often referred to as Luke, Dr. Luke, the careful historian. Because he went to great painstaking detail to record for us the life of Jesus. And then the explosion, intentional word in a second, of the church. And it's powerful. But there's also some differences between Christianity and other religions. Maybe you're here today and you're just curious or you stumbled in here because you, you know, you were lost. I don't know. But for whatever reason you're here, you know, Christianity is in fact about history. Christianity is not just the philosophy. There are certain religious systems like Buddhism that are based, uh, not based on a founder, but a system of ideas. There's other religions that are based on a place, a holy location. But not Christianity. The center of Christianity is a person. It's not a philosophy. The center of Christianity is not a place, it's a person and his name is Jesus. And that's what we want you to walk away with because we get to know a living person named Jesus. Because if you take Jesus out, Christianity ceases to exist. But if Jesus is still alive, it explains why Christianity is still alive and growing quickly in some parts of the world. And so that's where we are. We get to know Jesus, the center of our faith, the living Ruling, reigning, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. So where does our story begin? It begins in Acts chapter 1. Right? Acts chapter 1. Look at the first five verses with me. The Bible says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, this is Luke speaking. I, Luke, have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Our story begins with Jesus. Luke tells us he was concerned with 
all that Jesus did and said, his works and his words. If you're taking notes, that first blank is this. People were fine with what Jesus did, right? Everybody's fine with the healing of the sick, the causing the lame to walk, feeding the hungry. These are things our our own culture is fine with. We're fine with you making a difference. But what were people not fine with? People were not fine with what Jesus said. It was His words. It was His words. We're fine with what you do. We're not fine with what you say. His claims that no other sane person would ever make. He said, I'm God. Why is that so offensive? Have you ever thought about that? Why was it so offensive that Jesus said, I'm God? There's two things that humans, we don't like to be told, right? We don't like to be told what to do. We just don't. But you know what? There's something worse. There's, there's something worse than that to us. It's being told that there's nothing we can do. Completely out of our control. Because if there is indeed a living God, then you and I are accountable to Him. You and I are accountable to Him. We should be doing things His way, not our way. Looking back on that, we're able to look forward and recognize that we live in the same place. And in fact, as we call people to Jesus, this is exactly what is offensive because Jesus said these words. And let's not cheapen what God has offered to us. He says, be perfect. Because I'm perfect. Oftentimes we fall into this trap of being able to say, well, I've got to do this thing better. I've got to do that thing better. I've got to do those things better. I've got to tidy some things up in my heart. But here, here's the reality. You are never going to be perfect. You see, because God didn't call you to just get better. He called you to be perfect. And hopefully you feel the weight of that right now. That even as you make progress, you're not meeting that standard of perfect. But that word of law just prepares us for gospel, doesn't it? That word of good news, right? The word gospel that we refer to, right? The gospel of Luke. What is he talking about? He says he is dealing with what Jesus began to do and teach. And that's good news because since we can't, He was. And that's where our hope lives. Maybe you're here and you don't believe in God. I want you to know the true offer of Christianity this morning. It's not just that you would come and start to do things differently and be a little better and make a little progress. No, it's in fact the recognition that you cannot do what you are seeking to do. You cannot be who you are seeking to be. Everything that you accumulate and achieve for yourself will return empty in your life. But Jesus unlike any other religion in the world, saw you in your need and did not ask you to rise to the occasion, but He came for you. 
this is Christianity. And so when Jesus went to the cross at the end of Luke's gospel and was buried in that grave after dying a horrific death on the cross for your sin and for my sin, he then rose to life three days later. And that's where we're at in Acts chapter one. He's alive and he's showing convincing proofs to these people, hundreds of them. He even had breakfast on the beach with one of them. Not one of them, one time with a few of them, right? So Jesus is showing himself and even some of his close friends like Doubting Thomas. How would you like to have that nickname for the rest of time? Oh, you're Thomas. You're that doubter, right? I mean, it could be worse. It could be Judas. Like we're not going to get to it today, but down in verse uh, 13, there's a guy named Judas. Not that Judas. Can you imagine that after that? Like, I'm, hi, I'm Judas. Not that one, right? Like Jesus is... Showing himself to people. And even doubting Thomas is like, man, I'm not going to believe so I can touch that scar. So Jesus shows up and he walks up and he touches the scar. Can you imagine? Man, there's a hole in your hand, Jesus. Man, it's there. And some of you, like you've not touched the physical scar, but you've had scars and you've walked with Jesus through that. And you know that I may not have all the answers, but but man, I've... I've touched the scar. Jesus has brought me through some things that nobody else could bring me through. But isn't it interesting that in just a minute, Jesus is just going to go away? He's just going to go away. Isn't it amazing that he spent the last 2,000 years sitting down on his throne? He's not up pacing like you and I are. He doesn't get anxious and lose sleep. In fact, he doesn't even need sleep. He might take a nap because that's holy. That's in my own translation. But what he did was he empowered you and I to be his church. Right? He empowered us to be his representatives on earth. Seeking the people whom Jesus loves and died for to give them good news that there is hope in this life. Man. So Jesus promised them this Holy Spirit. And I mean, they knew who the Holy Spirit was, but they had no idea what was about to explode in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that next week. But he was about to leave them and then give them the Holy Spirit. But let's sit in that moment for a second where they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. I mean, they know about Him. They know He's been moving in the earth. Right? Because even in verse 2, it says that it was the Holy Spirit that Jesus was giving commands through. So, so he, He's been a part of things, but they don't know the Holy Spirit. And they don't know Him like this. But, before we get there, Verses 6 and 7 give me a lot of hope just as a Christian. Right? I mean, Christians are the worst, aren't we? I mean, we just, we get stuff backwards. We get stuff unfigured out. But, but listen to this. So this just happens, right? Jesus is standing there. He just rose from the dead, right? Like, just go there in your head. Okay? Because a lot of times we just think about Jesus. Jesus loves me. This sign of for the Bible tells me so. This isn't being videoed, I hope. But, like, sometimes that's just 
and those things are true, but th- this was the guy who was just hung on the cross. He was just whipped beyond recognition. He was nailed to a wooden tree. There are, are there other kinds of trees? <laughs> totally killed the point. But there he is, beaten, murdered for us, and these guys knew it. But then he, but then there he was, alive. And he's standing there, and he's looking at him with the scars. And here's what they say in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at time, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? Man, some of you have told your kids there's no such thing as a stupid question. And that's not true. I have three kids and so I, I know it's not true. They just watched God go to the cross, rise from the dead, and they missed the whole point of the first three years or the three years prior to that. They missed the whole point. Are you going to give us what we deserve? I mean, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of days where I get up and I that's my prayer. Like, God, when are you going to step in and, and show up for me and give me what I deserve? And Man, talk about Adventures in missing the point. Of course, Jesus is gracious. Look at what he says in verse 7. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. We're not on your timeline. We're not on your timeline. These verses give me a lot of hope because here, here they are with this narrow, selfish view of God's kingdom. What are we guilty of? Oftentimes, a narrow, selfish view of God's kingdom. There is a time where Jesus is going to come and make things right. And that gives us great hope. That second coming of Christ, it is coming. And He will right wrong and he will abolish and obliterate evil and that's going to come sign me up for that but here we are here we are our reality is that is to come but not yet however our reality and mission comes back to what Jesus prayed for back in Luke's earlier gospel right that, Father, would you bring your kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven? The next thing in your notes there, if you want to write it down, is this, that God is doing his work in and through Jesus, not by removing us from the world, but by transforming us. Transforming those of us in the world. It comes by transforming, not removing and so this is awesome timing, right? Like as we as a church begin to look to the following and to look at what, what is it that God is calling us to do, we want you to know that it's not a focus on us, it's a focus on mission. It's a focus on mission because isn't it interesting that uh, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, but look at verse 8 and 9 and let's look at why He's going to give you 
the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says. It says, so, so they just asked that silly question. Jesus is gracious, says, you're, it's just not for you to know. I'm going to handle that part. But, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. It's incredible, right? Like, put yourself there again. He corrects their poor view of the kingdom. Then he gives them this amazing promise that the Holy Spirit of God's going to fall on you with great power. And then he just drifts away. And they're like, whoa. What's happening here? Jesus made a promise to his disciples during his three years of walking around and doing ministry before he laid his life down on the cross. And he said in John fourteen twelve, you will do greater works than I did. Imagine being told that by the God of the universe. It causes us to pause and think, like, what was he talking about? What are these greater works that the original disciples would do? And what are they today that we get to be a part of? What, what are these greater works on earth that you and I could have any kind of role in them? When Jesus makes that promise that the Holy Spirit would be given and that power would characterize their ministry, they couldn't possibly have known what he meant. They couldn't possibly have known that you and I would be sitting here right now because they were given the Holy Spirit with great power. Think about it. What was about to happen to them in chapter 2, and we're going to stay that next week, and we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and all of that that goes with it. But as you think about where they were and you think about where you are, maybe you feel like they felt like, how on earth can I make a difference for Jesus Christ in the city of Tampa? Like, how do I even do that? Think about where they were. They were sitting there looking at Jesus drift away, the guy who had all the power. Thinking, what on earth am I going to do about it? They were going to do a whole lot, but they couldn't have known then. Think about the scenario. There, there had never been a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I like the way one, one author puts it. Is that They were the first church of ever. <laughs> like, there was no help. There was no looking around saying, let's, let's do what they do. No, they just... Here we are. Like, we've got, we've got crazy Peter. We've got doubting Thomas. Which one do you want to follow? <laughs> uh, neither. Peter's nuts and he doesn't even sure if he believes. That's where they were. But this great work that was about to happen was connected to a very important person. The Holy Spirit. Don't you love that? It says, but you, he, so he's, <laughs> he corrects them and then he says, but you know what? You're going to receive power. You're going to receive great power. It's the next thing in your notes. You from the Holy Spirit will receive great 
power. And I just want to ask you to inventory your life right now. When you look at your Christian life, when you look at the influence and ripples effect of your life around you, does it characterize that you have been given the Holy Spirit with great power? Wow. I need to pray about that. I'm guessing you need to pray about that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. John baptized you with water. But pretty soon, not many days from now, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Wow. To do something greater than Jesus requires power from Jesus. But what is greater than the works that Jesus did? Jesus' life and His power aren't just to be admired. They're to be experienced. Peace on earth. Shalom. God's kingdom coming on earth just as it is in heaven. And His plan for that was you. Like you. Like when you go to the park with your three-year-old. You are God's plan at that park. When you as a single guy or a single girl go to work or go to the coffee shop or go to the bar or go to wherever God calls you to be, you're God's plan. When you go to the construction site or you go to the office or you go to school, wherever you are, you are God's plan A and He doesn't have a plan B. You're his representative to do something great. It's amazing. It's really amazing. The Holy Spirit gets a bad rap though, doesn't he? Maybe you grew up in a church experience that doesn't spend a whole lot of time paying attention to him. Maybe you grew up with your King James Bible and you were like, I don't know what a Holy Ghost is, but I don't like the other kind of ghosts and so I don't want, to, I don't want any part of that. Right? That's just a bad translation. But this here, this Holy Spirit, I don't want to jump in next week. We're going to spend a lot of time there, but is given to you and He's a person. He's not some weird goo He's not some weird ghost. He's a person. And He's part of the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's pneuma, Spirit. The breath of God in you, living through you. With great, what? Power. There was a Swedish chemist years ago that while he was working, he discovered a very powerful substance that we now know as dynamite, right? And he had a call at something and he had a friend who was a Greek scholar and he's like, what's the Greek word for dy- for, uh, for power? What's the Greek word for power? Like, what's, what's got force? And he gave him this word that's used in Acts here and it's the Greek word dunamis and it means it's where we get our word dynamite from, right? Like you know the difference. Like at 4th of July when you go to the store and you get those little little circle things and you, you light them and then you throw them and they go psh, 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 psh. 
and you know your three-year-old and five-year-old they're like oh, ah, oh. and then you hear and, and but but then you hear boom and you're like oh fireworks right but even that a firework is is not even what Right when when you see dynamite and you see a whole building fall, or you see a dynamite go and a whole mountain is obliterated, and you you go you you're, you're standing you're like miles away and you hear, you're like whoa, that was not a firecracker, <laughs> that was not a cherry bomb, that was dynamite. Right, like that's the word that's used here. And so as a church, when when we think about that, this is the same. Thing that when the Holy Spirit shows up, it's boom, like, oh, like God's here. God's here. We want that to characterize the mission of God in this city. And by the way, it's not just about Redeemer or Arbor or Radiant or the Heights Church or any of our neighbors or South Tampa Fellowship or Grace Family or any of us, it's all of us moving together on mission for God and that is where greater things happen. That's where cities begin to change and lives begin to get transformed because when the city wakes up and they say, something's going on here. God's moving and things change, things happen. They aren't stagnant because the Spirit of God is moving. That's what we want. The collective actions of the universal church being filled with the Spirit has worldwide, simultaneous, and explosive implications for the entire world. This is the greater work Jesus was talking about. We're going to spend the next seven weeks talking about it, but I just I want you to get a sense of awe, a sense of wonder that what if there is a life to be lived on the mission of God that looks really simple and just me seeking the things that are above, Colossians chapter 3, that I might set my mind on the things above so that the Holy Spirit might fill me up and send me out and if every single one of us does that, we're going to see the Spirit of God move through Tampa Heights, move through Seminole Heights, move through South Tampa, move through Riverside Heights, and just on and on and on, because you know what? God did look at Peter, and he did say, feed my lambs. That's where we started. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Mitch, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Show them what it looks like to be on mission. That when the collective actions of the church come under the power of the Holy Spirit, boom, there's a movement of God and the Holy Spirit is with us in great power. That on any given day, the power of the Holy Spirit throwing through the people of God to be the witness of God would change lives on a daily basis. That wherever you find yourself, that you would know that God is with you. Being like Jesus is the activity of the church. It's not our programs, it's not our buildings, it's not our attendance numbers, it's not even our Bible studies. Those are all good. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost and He left us as His witnesses with great power filled with the Spirit of God to make a difference in our city and present Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 will be on the screen in a second. 
every believer who comes to Christ mature. That's the activity of God. It's part of why we give here. You know, we're not going to pass a bucket. But it's why we're generous. Because everything we do is the mission of God. It's, it's being a lighthouse on this corner for this city in this part of the world. It's why we give a bunch of money away to places like Ethiopia so that when we get a report that five Ethiopian boys are taken off the street, detoxed from drugs, and given the gospel that they respond because you gave so that they can be on mission in some other part of the world that you will never be, but you have been. Wow. That we might present everyone mature in Christ. That's what peace looks like. And then as we wrap this up, I want to point out an interesting detail left in the text here. It's kind of weird that it's even in this story, right? Because you, you think about all that and you're like, power, yeah, like, I'm on mission. Like, there's a really interesting detail here in the text, right? In verse 10. It says, and while they were gazing into heaven, just think about that. Like they just watched God die on the cross. They waited, really sad, depressed. Then he was there, he was alive, he was risen, and things are starting to click. And then he floats away. Like don't don't sell that part of the story short, right? Like God floated away in a cloud. And they're like just standing there. Like, whoa, what? You know that it's our knee-jerk reaction too when we when we when the Spirit of God moves in our lives in response to the Word? Like Jesus just gave them their mission. And their default was to gaze at Jesus. <laughs> That's our default. Like, man, I like more of this. Like, can we have the band come back up now? Like, yeah, we're going to. And we just want to sing. Except like the Holy Spirit like give me more of that but what was the Holy Spirit given to us for to be his witness now listen we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit next week and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and and it's just it's an amazing thing but in this moment as we consider as a church the mission of God like the Holy Spirit's given to us to be on mission and here they are gazing into heaven when two men stood by them in white robes some awesome stuff. And here's what the two guys in white robes say to these guys. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, get moving. So where are you? Standing and gazing at the creator of the universe. He is that awesome. He is that big. He can solve your problems. You can make a difference. But where are you on that journey? Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. 
today can be that day. The Bible says it's really simple, actually, that if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be saved. But make no mistake about it, that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you get great power and you will never be the same. So if you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that when we stand and sing in just a moment. That you would just surrender your life to Christ. Say, man, I don't know what this is all about, but I, but I know that I need that. And then give us the privilege of walking through that with you. Maybe maybe you have done that, or maybe you haven't done that, but you know, a good place for you to start would be Growth Track. We have this, this three-step video class. I'll give you a little book, and it's got fill in the notes, and it's not for your entertainment. It, it's just it's to help you walk through what does it look like to follow Jesus at Redeemer City Church in this city. It's a launching pad. It's not all of your discipleship. It's a starting point for your discipleship. And maybe you're stuck in step one and you haven't gone to step two. Like, wherever you are, like, let's get on mission. That's a great place to start and figure out how God's wired you and why He's wired you that way and how you can get on board with what He's doing in the world. The best news is worth sharing, isn't it? So maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. But that doesn't describe your life. I was convicted by that this week. It's not about you doing anything special. The church is about to explode, literally, pun intended, with the Holy Spirit. And Peter's going to give his first sermon later on in Acts and 3,000 people are going to get saved. That's going to be awesome. But in this moment, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And there's tension there. And they go to the upper room and they just wait. And as you consider that, as you consider what, what does it look like for me to be on mission for God and Tampa right now. I want to encourage you with three things here as we close. And the band's going to come up and they're going to lead us in some more worship and song. But as they come, I want you to think about three things and I want you to pray these this week. I want you to pray these into yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to do three things for you beginning right now. Number one, Holy Spirit, show me. This is the Word. This is Jesus, the Word made flesh, surrendering your life to Him, becoming a Christian. It's you as a Christian taking the Word of God and in massaging it into your life. It's so easy now. You can have it on your phone. You can grab it on paper. You, there's so many ways to do it, but grab a friend. Start somewhere. Grab one of us. But Holy Spirit, show me. See, it's not enough for me to stand up here and yell at you. Or tell a good story or make you laugh. And and I like to do all those things. But you don't just need me. You need the Holy Spirit to show you His words for you. Holy Spirit, show me. Holy Spirit, change me. Would you not just give me information, but would you give me transformation? Would you begin to move in my life? 
show me and change me. Maybe you need to jump into growth track today. Maybe you need to continue growth track today. Maybe you need to start giving. Start living out generosity. Like the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 who were just giving because it, was, it made them giddy. <laughs> Number three, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me. I was talking to one of our elders this week and, and he just gave me the, the note on this one. He said, he said, just all of God. I just want all of it. I want all of God. You know, so, so often we settle for, for praying to Jesus or saying Father when we pray before dinner. And when we, we settle for, for some of God. But what if we invite the Holy Spirit because He wants to? He's there. What if we invite the Holy Spirit into this place, into this church, into your heart, into your life, into your mind? He, he's already there, but we, we want Him to fill us, right? We want to be with Isaiah. God, tear open the heavens and come down and meet with your people. We want to see you. You are our living hope we're about to sing. This is what we need. God, I want everything you have. I want everything you have. Show me. Change me. Fill me. We want more of Jesus. We need more of Jesus. Jesus.